Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Week four is in the books. 49ers visited Los Angeles to play the Chargers and came away with a narrow 29-27 defeat. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad that my confidence on the preview podcast wasn't too misplaced in the end. Um, I did kind of talk myself out of a window as that podcast went on with the sort of nagging doubts about Breeder and Morris midweek with their knocks and they were on the injury report. That kind of didn't help things. And the more I kind of... uh, Went through that preview podcast. I think I uh, convinced myself that we, you know, we were going to lose, but it was almost another correct score predicted as well. We were pretty close. Um, I know yours was the wrong way round, but it was we were still there or thereabouts. It was only a couple of mi- missed extra points, and uh, we'd have probably been spot on again, nearly. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like I said last week, it's it's very unusual for me to be anywhere near getting yeah, the correct me too. score. Which means um, it's going to be spectacularly wrong for the next one. <laughs> well, I, I hope not because I've got just as much confidence going into the next one as I had for this one. I think next weekend will be a win. Um, yes. But that, that's a conversation for Friday's preview show. Mm. And also on uh, the last preview, obviously we said that the, the over would come in. So if you, if you, uh, if you went with the over and uh, you went with, you know, with the 49ers and the spread, then uh, that's a nice little double. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully somebody's making some money off that. Yeah, gamble away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a quick summary of the game. Um, in in my eyes, it was better than a lot of the fan base expected, but it was yeah. disappointing because the game was there for the taking and our own mistakes coupled with the officiating crew missing a blatant push in mm. the back on the final uh, charges drive cost us daily. Yeah, it did. Yeah, definitely. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, if you were neutral, that was probably be quite a exciting game to watch. Yeah, and I think I called that on Friday as well. Yeah. So we'll do what we normally do, and we'll start off with the negatives, and then we'll leave everybody with the positives, so they've got a lovely, warm, and fuzzy feeling going <laughs> into the Cardinals game next week. Where do we want to start then? Because I've I've got. Just a general overall one to start with, which is that we are our own worst enemies still at times. It's um, it's mistakes at key points in the game. So there was a number of improvements, but we missed tackles on um, at crucial times of the game for me. And the play calling was not quite what I would want in that build-up before half-time. That was uh, quite a negative for me. Um it was. I, I, yeah. I, I agree with you there. I mean, that was one of the points that I've got down as well. Um, not not just the play calling, but the actual clock management at the end of the clock first. Clock management, yeah, yeah, yeah. The end of the first half. That We, we give them three points. Yeah, we did. Uh, and obviously that, that ended up being the, um, the, the winning score. The, the winning score was two points. Had they not got that field goal, it could have been us 27-26. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a completely different game in the second half with us getting the ball first as well. Yeah. So, what about the the run game? Because the run game disappointed. It did. Um, it was a mild negative for me. I wouldn't say it was my most negative part of the of the evening. Uh, I thought the first half it seemed to work pretty well, even though we were sort of low statistically. And the second half we just seemed to not abandon it as such, but there there wasn't much going at all, was there? We didn't seem to get into the run game at all in the second half, and I just wonder. If there's sort of any stock to the fact that both Breeder and Morris had injuries, um, Breeder ripped off a couple of nice runs early in the third quarter, but after that, it was pretty much all um, CJ with the with the runs, wasn't it? Um, we were giving up a lot of pressures. Melvin Ingram was constantly seemingly in CJ's face, as was um, Derwin James, the safety. He was well, he was absolutely fantastic. I thought for. He was for yes. the uh, for the Chargers. He was pretty much everywhere, wasn't he? And um, when you look at the amount of injuries that we had, you know, Staley was out, McGlinchey went out, Person had a knock, Richburg was out as well. It was 
it was it wasn't a surprise that the, the pocket was collapsing all over the place at times and we weren't able to get the run game going because we were subbing in bodies left right and center and uh you know it, it it wasn't a big surprise that the run game kind of went away from us but i think that was predominantly down to the amount of injuries and and the and the rotation that was going on on that o-line during the game yeah so completely agree with that um in my mind it was definitely the injuries to the o-line that prevented us from gaining a lot more yards than what we did on the ground um and as you said the injuries came pretty quick. I think it was the very first snap where Richburg was injured, so he had to come yeah. out for a couple of uh, a couple of players. Uh, we lost Joe Staley, starting left tackle. He was out. Um, McGlinchey, yeah, we we lost him. I think for I think half of the third quarter. Yeah, um, and then we also had Person injured as well. It was a beat up line, and again. Just to echo what you've already said, coupled with the injuries to both Breda and Morris, and obviously Breda went down again at the start of the game, it didn't help our run game. No, it was like a scene at a mash at one point, wasn't it, on the sideline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> so, what else we got negatives then? Where do you want to go next? Oh Well, I'll, I'll go for one that... It's a disappointing negative because... I actually thought it was going to be a positive this week, and that was the the pass rush. Yep. I thought this week we might have one based off the offensive line of the uh, the Chargers, but mm. again, just nothing there. Yeah, one sack. Yeah, one, one sack. sack Sheldon Day and Armstead between them, wasn't it? Or, or Day, I think, was predominantly on it. Yeah. And that was it, wasn't it? I mean, at one point, Solomon Thomas was in coverage. What's going on against Gates? Yeah, so I've, I've actually... He gave a high school quarterback that matchup, he'd take it, wouldn't he? I mean, what's going on? You, you can't have that. I've watched that a couple of times, and, and there's nobody else. There wasn't a cornerback anywhere near Gates at all. No. And I kind of think, is that the way they designed it? Was Thomas supposed to do that? But when you look at Thomas, the way he reacts to what Rivers is doing, I, I think he makes a good read that it's going out to Gates and that mm. there's nobody behind him. And and that's why he turned and got round there. So to do what he did for such a big lad and actually chase Gates down, I thought he did okay there, but it was a really strange play call on defence if that was the design of the play. Yeah, you can't give Phil Rivers... And, and quarterbacks of his ilk that those kind of matchups because he's just going to exploit it all day long um, that's something we need to, to move away from very very quickly um, and in terms of yeah the pass rush and getting pressure on him it just wasn't there again was it even against what what we assumed and we thought would be a poor Chargers O-line it was yeah it's 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 worrying for me that the lack of pass rush because you know, we're, we're relying on these guys to try and bail our sort of alien secondary out at the minute, and it's just not happening. Yeah, definitely. And I think pass rush is the number one priority that we need to fill. Yeah. Because that could change a game easily for, for the way we're playing at the moment. It's like going back to last season where we had five or six games where we lost by less than three points. Yeah. If we'd had a decent pass rush, we may have won all five of those games. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 only ever one one player. You look look at the difference that Max made in Chicago, and look at how far downhill the Raiders have now gone. Yeah, <laughs> it's night and day, isn't it? It, it certainly is. And we, we go back to previous um, podcast where we said, well, it was a high price to pay two first rounders, but now when you look at it after a few games, it's probably worth it. Yeah, he's uh, he's racking up more statistics on his own than a lot of teams are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and luckily enough, he's in my uh, fantasy team, so I don't <laughs> mind at all. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, pass rush, we, we definitely need to do something about it. Even though I've been on Solomon Thomas's back all season, he has actually improved since last season. I have seen an improvement. Mm. It's just not a great improvement. Yeah, it'd just be nice to start seeing, seeing him on the stat sheets and racking up some pressures for me now. Yeah. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. It's just, it's as simple as that. It's it's all very well being a high draft pick and being a great run stopper and you know, you know tackling your man every time he comes near you. But at the end of the day, those kind of players, you you 
you're paying a high price to get production out of and you you can get run stoppers all through the draft and in free agency. Yeah. So st- sticking with the defense, <laughs> let's go on to the secondary <laughs> <laughs> and talk about the their performance in the first half. Yeah, see, I didn't have the secondary down as a negative. I've got it down as an indifference. So I put that in between <laughs> negatives and positives. Right. And for me, I thought they showed flashes at times, but were poor for large chunks. They, they Rivers pretty much um, took everything that they gave him and more at times. And even when they had tight coverage, he was seemingly still somehow finding receivers in the numbers. Like, And then you've got plays like Tyrrell Williams made on Ward on the opening uh, Chargers drive of that second half when he went over the, up and over the top of him and, and got the ball on the back shoulder, you just, as tight as the coverage is and as good as the coverage was on that play, you, you just can't justify for some of that stuff. And yeah, he, he only threw for 250 yards, but a lot of those yards were wide open, weren't they? I mean, he was dropping back. It was 15 yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, yeah. 13 yards. It was, there was a lot of gaps that he he was, uh, he was taking and he was taking chunks at, in, in, in drives just consecutively, it seemed. Um, Mabin came in and showed us that maybe he's got something to offer. Jimmy Ward looked better at times, but it was just a yeah, just not quite enough for me. There was some yeah, there was no consistency there. Yeah, just not enough. I think we often found ourselves exposed. And again, Rivers was taking advantage of the likes of Thomas and Warner in coverage against Gates and Eckler. Um, so I think there was improvement, but. And that said, the longest play that they gave up through the air was only 24 yards. So I'm not going to take it as an overly negative thing, but at the same time, I'm not crowning them as the saviors or you know by any any stretch of the imagination. There, there, there was improvement there for me, but not enough for me to have it completely in my negative section as a overall game. Sorry, I know you asked about the first quarter for the first half there, but I, I kind of went all through it. Yeah, so I was just about to explain why I said about the first half because I, I do completely agree with your analysis there. Um, they did show flashes of uh, being a good secondary, but it wasn't enough. Mm. Um, for the large part of the first half, they were non-existent. It was towards the end of the um, the second quarter that they started to pick up a bit, and that actually carried on into the third quarter. And in the third quarter, I thought they, they looked okay. I was yeah. fairly impressed with how, how well they'd adjusted coming out of the half. But then you got the fourth quarter, and it was just wide open receiver after wide open receiver. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was panic because the game was on the line. They're in the fourth quarter. That suddenly started to forget all about the things that being taught in in practice during the week, uh, and all that good work from the end of the second quarter and all the way through the third quarter just disappeared for me because. I then become blinkered on what happened in the fourth quarter and start thinking about what happened in the first quarter as well. Yeah. See, the disappointing thing for me there, and we mentioned it in our um, in the preview podcast for the game, was that the defensive line, with the amount of rotation that we've got on and, and that we have on that defensive line, we should still be having fresh bodies coming in and rushing the quarterback in that fourth quarter to help out our secondary, knowing full well that Sherman's not there and the rest of the guys are iffy at best at the moment this season and the combination of the two it just it wasn't there at times and and that was like I say disappointing because at times they did show flashes that there is potential there um you know that potentially could win us a game you look you look at how the game started we couldn't have asked for a better start could we that was exactly the the type of start that you want in in any game on your first set on defense because that gave the team early confidence and you could see that that was growing and and that you know transpired to to the offense the offense went out scored two quick touchdowns the tackling was was vastly improved i'm sure we'll probably come across that at, at another point and yeah um yeah the the start that they gave us on in the secondary was was brilliant and it was a great it was a great um jump on the route wasn't it he came in it and certainly was took it away from him it was a brilliant play um and yeah, I thought our coverage was good at times, but it let us down at key moments in a similar way to what the missed tackle situation was. I thought the the missed tackle situation was much better 
but unfortunately there were sort of four or five key plays where it, it just completely let us down again. Yeah, and again, I agreed with that. There was two players in the first quarter by the secondary that um, were impressive. Obviously, the very first player where we, we picked him and took it to the house. That that was that was a fantastic player. Mm. Uh, and then the same player, uh, Exum, in the end zone to bat down a, a ball that Rivers had sent into the end zone. I thought he did really well. Yeah. Uh, at first, I actually thought it was Witherspoon that got his hand to it because I think if Exum hadn't being able to get his hand in front of it with a spoon was there as well. So I yeah. thought that was really good coverage. Um, but that was only the uh, two points out of the whole of the first quarter that uh, I, I thought was good. And then we came back to the missed tackles again. There wasn't that many in the first half. Um, I, in fact, I think I've, I've wrote down two in my notes. I could only notice two missed tackles in the first half. The vast majority of the ta- missed tackles started again in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And it was as the game wore on, you could see they were getting tired, we were starting to pick up injuries, and and then the missed tackles were just ridiculous again. It went back to the same player in weeks one, two, and three. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was on key moments in the game. Um, and that was, again, was massively disappointing because to jump into the positive section briefly that's what you called an improvement wasn't it i mean without shadow give them their due they came out and the first drive of the game bang 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 and they were it was just brilliant it was a considerable improvement and and they were it was all three levels it was the d-line it was the linebackers it was the defensive bats there was they were wrapping up they were clutching onto players they would grab an older whatever they can to bring him down they were hitting people square on, head up. They weren't diving from five yards away with their head down, not looking what was going on. And to me, they showed a lot of discipline. And we cleaned up our acts again on the penalties, which is probably another positive. But when you take the tackling and the penalties, which were like two of the main things which we said, this has to improve on the season. And I thought the tackling was, at for probably 90 to 95% of the game, was fantastic. But unfortunately, there were, like I say, three or four key players particularly late on in the game where they just all fell to pieces and I thought on the reaction that I was reading on like the game day thread and on a couple of other places that they were sort of harshly done by by the reaction that people were going tackling still a problem when yes it was a problem at times but you can't fault what they did for 95% of the games in terms of the way they were tackling people because they were like men possessed out there at times. Do you think the problem comes down to a lack of practice during the off season? Yeah, yeah, I think we said that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? That they've with the CBA and stuff now that they've knocked the two a day on the head. They don't want to get injured during the week, so there's no sort of full contact tackle in practice or anything that, that seemingly goes on. But like we said last week, the tackling isn't something new. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, definitely they've not. They've been doing this for years, haven't they? So if I know that the NFL is stronger, faster, tougher, and all that, but you know, this is this is basics. Well, hopefully they'll continue to concentrate on that week in, week out until it becomes second nature. Yeah. Uh, because what I was trying to get at, that, that, what in my mind, I, I think they haven't really concentrated on tackling that much in the off season. Because if they did, it becomes second nature. And if it's second nature, you don't have to be thinking about what you practice during the week to actually make that tackle. No. To me, this week, when you saw them tackling, and I, I agree, I, I, I'd have said there was a good 90% of the game where they were tackling really well, but it was on key players where they just completely lost it. And I think that's because, at the moment, it's tackling well is not second nature. And I think that's what's causing the problem. And they need to continue to do this and progress during the season by continuing to practice all week long. And then hopefully by, by I don't know, game six. I mean, that's only two games away, but hopefully by game six, they'll tackle well throughout a whole game uh, and not just for 90% of it. Yeah, it needs to... There, you know, there's going to be missed tackles. No, no one's sort of uh, saying that we're not, we're, you know, we're expecting every every player to be tackled on every single run or every single catch. But it's again, we, I know we're sort of repeating ourselves a little bit, but it's it's a season of progress now, and we need to keep continue seeing progress because the likes of Exum and these kind of guys that are coming in and they're playing for their 
roster position, not only for this season, but for next season as well now. So essentially this is a, a 16-game interview sort of, sort of sussing out situation as to who's good enough and who's going to be back next season in addition to the free agency and the draft next year to move the, the franchise forward in the you know in the positive direction that we're moving in and, and hopefully that this season will also be a, a positive one from what we can gain from it with obviously Jimmy being out and uh, the, you know the other injuries that we've got on the field at the minute and off the field. So there's a few positives in on there which we'll probably uh, pick up on later. Um, so we'll stick with the negatives and injuries. It, it seems mm. as though the 49ers are getting more than their fair share of injuries. It, again. I think it's the same question as about tackling. Does this come down to the off-season? Is, is it a case of the the limited practices because of the CBA? It means people are getting injured a lot more? It could be, couldn't it? I mean, it was brutal, wasn't it? <laughs> Nearly every drive, there were players down. It was both sides of the ball, wasn't it? CJ was down, Staley was down, McGlinchey. You know, all the O-line guys we've mentioned, Breeder went down, Pettis went down and didn't yeah, come in. Yeah, play after play after play. Yeah, Goodwin went down and didn't come back for a bit. And I don't know, I've, I've probably missed... There's probably four, five, six more. But it, yeah, seemingly we were having players receiving treatment all over the place. And there has to be summer in it. And I can't imagine that we're alone in this situation. But I don't seem to hear of any other teams who are getting absolutely decimated by injuries and... You know, your backup left tackles in, your backup right tackles in, your backup quarterbacks. I, 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 there must be a couple of teams out there that are going through something similar, but you don't see a lot of these other quarterbacks that are running quarterbacks and stuff that are, are out. And not that I'm saying CJ is a running quarterback, but there, there must be something in in the off season conditioning program that's has to be partly responsible for the amount of injuries that we're getting. Yeah, there, there's got to be and. Yeah, I agree. I've never seen any other team report. I've, I'm a member of quite a few different NFL groups, and you don't see any other people complain about the amount of injuries that the team's getting. Maybe one of them's getting uh, the star player. So um, Earl Thomas, Earl, Earl Thomas broke his leg last night. That's the mm. first injury I've heard of this season for the Seahawks. Yeah. Nobody else has mentioned injuries there, and it just makes you wonder because it, it's it's funny from a morbid perspective but last week we were talking about next man up i was sat there watching this last night and i was thinking last man standing yeah yeah there's no one else left to stand up is there it's um yeah i i I genuinely don't know what the answer is because like i say without having any knowledge of what goes on at at practice it's difficult to know you can only kind of speculate really but I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I, I'm lost for ideas as to why there are so many injuries happening in, in the team at the minute. So the good news straight after the game um, from Shanahan, and he turned around and he said both Staley and Pettis's knee injuries aren't particularly bad. He, yes. he doesn't expect them to miss any game time. Um, so that's a relief. Obviously, Pettis got took out in his very first snap of the game when he went for the punt return. And to be honest, it didn't actually look at all bad so I'm not quite sure what he's done to, to knock him out for the rest of the game mm. I don't think um, there's any concerns about Richburg Goodwin McGlinchey or Breda obviously they all took knocks um, Richburg spent a few snaps out McGlinchey half a quarter I, I think Goodwin missed a, a, a single drive mm. um, and Breda came in after being subbed for a couple of runs as well. So it's not as bad as what we have been getting, um, but it does make you wonder. We, we, we've had our fair share of bad luck, not just with injuries, but uh, with other things as well. Officiating, that's, that's certainly one of the things that we've had some bad luck with in the last yeah, two weeks. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, the, only, the only team that I know that seemed to play the injury report so well or so badly or they... they, they um, they put everyone down. It's the Patriots. And you look at the Patriots on, a, say, a Thursday or a Friday, and they'll have about 25 people on the injury report. And it's all niggly-piggly stuff. And you know full well that by Sunday, they're all going to be fit. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know why they do it, but that, that's the only team that I can think of that seemingly puts nearly half of their roster on the injury report on a sort of Thursday or a Friday. But 
they seem to to play the card of oh, look at all these injuries we've got and uh, you know full well that Belichick's got them all fit and they're all ready to go on Sunday yeah, regardless you, of what they've got and you also know fine well if it's Bill Belichick that's doing it there's a reason he's doing it because he knows that rule book inside out and, yeah, and there's yeah. got to be a reason why he does that yeah yeah I mean they declare everything <laughs> yeah any more negatives uh, tactics and yeah. play calling and time management. I kind of sort of want to group them all together, really. Um, kicking the field goal on fourth and one when we were down on the Chargers 15. It's easy to say I'd have gone for it there, but I'd have gone for it there. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, I'd have gone for it there as well. Yeah, and to be yeah. honest, I think any 49er fan would have agreed with you there. Yeah, I mean, yes, it was right after CJ's injury and we tried sort of spoiling the game a bit there by buying a bit of time, challenging the spot. But you've got to try and step on the throat of the team that you're up against in that situation. Um, you're putting a hell of a lot on your defence who are, they, they, you know, they were good at times, but they were, you know, they were they were wobbly at, at times as well. And you're you kind of putting the pressure on their kicker, who again was wobbly at best, wasn't he? He, he, he was, was terrible. Terrible, wasn't he? But you're then forcing them into trying to score a touchdown situation rather than putting it in the hands of their wobbly kicker. And yeah, you can say, well, we're going to take a gamble on the wobbly kicker, but your wobbly kicker, he's probably missed three or four field goals. You know full well he's probably going to step up and nail a 49-yarder as time expires and stuff in those kind of games because invariably they do, unless your name's Scott Norwood. But you've got to try and force them into scoring a touchdown. And I'd have probably tried to have been a bit braver there. And another mild annoyance for me is... When we were on first and goal, and it was the play before Bourne scored the touchdown, I think it was, we lined up with Mitchell at fullback, and then we had to call a timeout because we had poor clock management, funny enough. And that kind of caused us to tip our hand. And then we still ran the same play. Yeah. Like, that's daft to me. This happened as well last week with defence. We showed blitz and stacked it all on one side. Kansas City called a timeout, and they went back and pretty much they came out with the same play, but just went straight to the opposite side of the field where there was no one there and got a first down. They just flipped the play on its head and went after us the other way. And that, to me, is just inexperienced coordinating on both sides of the ball. We need to be much, much better at that. And then the last thing that was a sort of annoyance was the sort of period before half-time, that 47 seconds. We ran three throws, two of which were incomplete, and Breeder went out of bounds on the one play. So we ended up punting, and like you said earlier, we ended up then giving them the ball back. They scored on the field goal to tie it up at 17. But they should never have had that ball back to get the three points. They should have just... If, if we're going to run sort of two or three pass plays and it's not going to work, you've at least got to make sure your special teams stop that punt returner deep down field or you have to make him fair catch it or you have to kick it, kick it out of bounds because that just wasn't good enough. That was just a... A cluster that that whole sort of minute before half time that was just really really poorly managed for me. So um, I th- so I think it's fair to say that Kyle Shanahan should have known that, and he should have yeah. known it because he learned that lesson in the most painful way in the yeah, Super Bowl. If you're going to learn and learn from your mistakes, that's where you learn from. Definitely. On the biggest stage of all. Yeah, definitely, and it was disappointing to see him not run that clock down at the end of the first half, mm. and then let them back in. And, and like I said, I mean, it was only a two-point difference at the end of the game. We we gifted them a field goal. So, yeah, for for me, the, the whole team management, clock management, tactics, that was the most annoying thing because he should have known that. He should have learned that lesson. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't, unfortunately, no. And I don't um, think that's the first time he's done that with us either. I think he did it last season as well in a game where yeah. he should have been running down the clock or making sure the clock was still ticking away there um, just to make it more difficult on, on the opposing team. Yeah, and momentum's a huge thing and that was in the, right in the middle of the Chargers having four consecutive scoring drives. Yeah. It was, you know, you just had, you know continue to hand them the momentum of the game and it, it was unfortunate at the time it was looking like it was getting right out of sight for us. So you mentioned the tactics. Are you talking about player calling? Yeah, the, you know, like the, like I said, with the when you line up Mitchell at, at fullback, right. you're, you're tipping yeah. your hand, aren't you? And then you, you end up calling a timeout, and then you come back out with the exact same play. 
on the goal line and or two yards out, wherever it was we were at the time. And I think that's just daft because you've tipped your hand. That's called a timeout. Don't go back out with the same play. At least mix it up a little bit and do something different. And if you're going to do that, maybe try that on the next play. If it, you know, if you don't convert on the first down, it's, it's, it's easy to look back now and say, well, we scored a touchdown on the play after anyway. So what are you moaning about? But it's just little things like that that to continue yeah. to sort of trip us up at times. And I think we can do a much better job of uh, of not tipping our hand and, and not showing what we're doing and just being a bit more savvy. On, on, and that goes for both sides of the ball, like I said, with that defensive play last week as well. We just need to be a little bit more switched on with the defensive coordinator and with Carl as the offensive coordinator as, as to what we're doing and not quite make it so obvious sometimes as to as to what we're doing. So if I can see it 5,000 miles away, I'm pretty sure that the, the Los Angeles Chargers defensive line, who were one yard away, can see exactly what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm comfy sofa watching it on the telly, and I know what's coming. Oh, this is going to be a one-yard run at the middle for Morris if he's lucky. And all of a sudden, you see them, boom, yeah, we can see that as well. Thank you very much. So on the overall performance during the game, was the simplified offensive player calling a positive or a negative on the outcome of the game? Not the outcome, on the overall performance. I think it was a positive, and, and to move on, I guess we're done with negatives now, are we? Uh, well... It all depends on how you answered that question. <laughs> well, I think it was a positive because, I mean, I've got quite a lot of stuff to go through with um, with CJ as, as the quarterback, but I think that the the play calling was somewhat more simplified. Uh, and as much as the, the TV callers and Kyle told us that it wasn't going to be, it looked to me to be a little bit more simplified on what we were doing. Yeah, and I think that's a positive because that lent into CJ having a very, very good game. Yeah, agreed. I thought CJ was excellent uh, yesterday. He, he's he's unbelievably tough. He, he gets up after the biggest hit. It's unbelievable. Mm. He he ran when he had to, didn't when he didn't have to. Although there was one one particular run on the final drive which he could have gotten us the first down with that, but it wasn't particularly that long after he'd just been battered to the floor. So yeah. I can understand why he was a little bit hesitant. And I think um, Kyle will have had a word in his ear as well to say, look, after, yeah, uh, after, <laughs> yeah, after you, we're going to a rookie. So just watch what you're doing. Yeah, he's uh, one tough cookie. Um, cookie wasn't the word that I uh, put down on my little note there. but um, <laughs> No, yeah. I, I imagine what that word is. It was, what a game. I mean, he left everything out there, didn't he? He... he through everything at it. I'm surprised at some point he didn't actually throw a kitchen sink because even with the two interceptions that he threw, you can't doubt or question his willingness to win and do well for the team, can you? It was just, I thought he was brilliant. Um, yeah, two picks. Agreed. One, the first one is on Selleck. Definitely. And there's no way that you, you can sort of uh, account that on, on him. He's pr- pretty much put that exactly where it needed to be. Yeah. Selleck's balls it up and, he, and it's, it's an interception and then the second one was pretty much on the O-line wasn't it he, it, he had nowhere to go and it, everyone was on top of him and you know, got the tip on the pass but he put the team in a position to win he did yeah and that's all any of us could have asked for he stood tall in the pocket he was strong in the pocket there was a couple of plays that he was incredibly brave there was a third and seven pass to Kittle when he stood up and I don't know quite how he got that ball to Kittle, but he stood up and he took the hit and he he got that throw in there. And then there was obviously the other throw that looped up to Juice and Juice caught it and he got absolutely levelled on that play. And that drew a penalty 15 yards in it for the body weight hit on him. Yeah, I think that was on the, I think that was on the play that on on the drive that Selleck actually dropped the the pick. But it was yes. Yeah, it was. I was very very impressed and. Yes, it's it is a downgrade, but again, we we said before the, these are the kind of performances that make people sit up and take notice, and potentially he might not want to stick around as a as a backup if he if he continues to do this in weeks and months to come. Someone will probably think, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll see if we can tempt the Forty Nines with a third or a second round pick, maybe, and you know, you've got to try and look at that if if you think you've got something in Mullins as well. Yeah, 
you know, I'm not saying just because he's had one good game, he, he, all of a sudden he's trade bait, but these are the kind of things that in these kind of seasons you have to be looking out for. So while we're talking about Siege here, let's go back to the rough and the passer calls. We got for them all over the course of the game. And I've got to be honest, so, so this is neither a negative or a positive. This is more of an observation. Out of the four calls, there's only one really that I thought deserved to be rough in the passer. Purely because the other three, CJ had literally only just let go of that ball when yeah. the defender came bearing down on him. So you had that one to body weight. But if you looked at the way he was going to tackle him, how was he not supposed to put his body weight on him to actually yeah, tackle him? These new rules are pretty poor, and it's absolutely something that if it's not addressed during the season, which it probably won't be, they've got to work out what they're doing with it next season because we can't have... Uh, we can't, I, like you say, on that one, I don't know where he's meant to go. No, you're right. You, you can't come down on someone in a sort of form tackle and then try and spin them at the same time while you're going down. It, it just doesn't work like that. And so, I played a little bit of rugby only at school but and a little bit at work and stuff, but never to any, any standard whatsoever. Um, but yeah, you, it's, you just can't. They need to look at it because the game can't continue the way it's going. Otherwise, it will just end up that you can't even touch quarterback the way that it's going. It's getting too soft. Yeah, and yes, agreed. you can say that it's you know the NFL got to look after their their star players, and now the 49ers are going to be on a couple of uh, Sunday night footballs, and Garoppolo's not playing. But these you know injuries happen and stuff. But his injury wasn't down to that situation. His injury was down to himself trying to gain extra yards and yeah, popping his ACL. So but the, the Clay Matthews stuff and and the bits and bobs that we've seen this season, it's just rubbish what they're flagging, they're getting flagged for now. You, you go back twenty years and look at at the at the tackling back then, and even further back than that, and these quarterbacks were getting up and they weren't batting an eyelid. So the good news is, we can only benefit from this rule, and the reason we can only benefit from this rule is because we've got no pass rush, so we can't get yeah. next to the opposing quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, we can have flags galore against our quarterback and we'll get 15 yeah. yards after 15 yards. Um, but I can't see us getting a rough in the passer because we're not getting anywhere near the passer. <laughs> but, yeah, that, I mean, that was just an observation where I, I looked at the four of them again and I thought, I think it was the very first one where it was a good two seconds after he let go of the ball and then he was flat. Um, and I thought that was bad. But all the others was literally a split second after. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, CJ, CJ just bounced back up again. He was like a weeble. I think I mentioned that mm. on Friday. He was like that last year. You, you, you hit him, and he just springs straight back up. Yeah. Um, apart from the one, that one uh, <laughs> run where I, I, he knocked the wind out of himself. I, I was a little bit worried that he'd uh, put his shoulder out. Yeah. And it was his uh, thrown arm as well. Mm. Uh, luckily enough, he got up. Yeah, but I, I think the... Uh going back to the sort of play calling and stuff, I, I thought it seemed a little simpler. There seemed to be, um, there was quite a few screens and stuff, wasn't there? There were, you know, the tight end and the running backs coming out of the backfield. There were short routes. There were sort of some, couple of curl routes and when the receivers were coming back to the ball and I thought they made it easier for him and I think it was simplified a little bit. Um, and he's also pretty elusive, isn't he? I, there was a couple of instances in the fourth quarter and he made positive yardage how I've got no idea. He must be as slippery as a blooming eel, or he covered himself in Vaseline before he went out there. Because we had the game callers saying, "Oh, Carl's told him not to run with the ball and stuff," but instinct takes over in some of those situations, doesn't it? And he did allow himself to be hit on a couple of tackles that made us wince. But I don't know how. Genuinely, there was a nine-yard run. I think it was in the fourth quarter where basically he was buried, and then the next thing he ducked his head and he was gone. <laughs> and it's so like. It's like watching Russell Wilson, but not Russell Wilson. You know, you know those quarterbacks yeah. that really pee you off because they, you see them and you can't get hold of them. And when you've got them banged to rights, all of a sudden they found the tiniest little hole. Like Frank Gore used to be as a running back. Frank Gore used, Gore used to burst through the tiniest of holes and he'd get a five, six-yard gain out of it. And you think, well, how the bloody hell has he done that? Because there was nothing there. And he, he had a couple of runs like that. And um, it was great to see. And he's tough as nails, but... He does need to be careful because having lost Jimmy to that injury, 
the last thing we now need to lose is CJ on a season in Indian injury or in, goes into concussion protocol just to try and gain an extra yard or two. I think he does need to learn from what's gone before. That said, the team will look at him and the way he performs and they'll think, I'm going to play for that guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that's going to inspire anyone. And, and if that can inspire an O-lineman to block for a second longer or, you know, for a running back to dig for an extra yard or to, you know, to the receiver to lay out for a catch and hold on to the ball when he's being pounded by the defence... If that can inspire the team somewhat, then I'm all for it. But I would tell him to exercise some caution with what he's doing because, uh, yeah, I think we were all wincing at times on Sunday. Yeah, we were, definitely. (laughs) So what did you make of the play of the linebackers, Foster, Warner and Smith? So Warner and um, Foster... Willis and Bowman. Yeah. Is that something that we can start putting in the same sentence together? <laughs> I, I tell you what, I think they played really well together. They, they did, fe- didn't they? Yeah, they, they feed off everywhere. each other. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can add Smith in there with them. Um, Not just yet, no. No. But yeah, Foster and Warner look really good together. And they do look really good. The way the pair of them started the game was absolutely excellent. They were on fire. Um, there was plenty of hustle about them. They they were hurrying the ball carrier. They, they were getting over to the targets. They were making the tackles. They weren't letting go. They had the bit between the teeth, and I, th- I think Foster definitely had something to prove after Pooh was showing last week. Yeah, it's a very exciting pair to watch. Um, extremely excited about where the pair of them could go in the future and how good they could get. Um, Foster, to me, is better in coverage than Warner. Warner's still got a little bit to learn in coverage. Uh, but in terms of their tackling, their form tackling, their wrapping up on Sunday, it was extremely satisfying to uh, sit and watch those two go, go and do their stuff. They they was it's cliche, but they were sideline to sideline. They were everywhere, weren't they, on, on Sunday. There, there wasn't a sort of, I don't think there was a blade of grass that they didn't cover. And and they they were hot in pursuit of everything. Like I say, they pretty much tackled anything that came near them. Foster had a couple of good, um, or he was decent in pass pass coverage. I say if 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 Warner can get a bit better in pass coverage as well, they're 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 really exciting pair to watch over the the coming years. And you think neither of those have even got a full season under their belt yet. So, So the one area where Foster wasn't good in pass coverage was on the touchdown. In I think it was the first quarter. Yeah. Was it the end of the first quarter that uh, the Chargers got their first touchdown? That was the one to Gates, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And he yeah. completely misread the coverage. And yeah. He should have come out left. He went on the inside with the same guy that Witherspoon was covering. Uh, and then it was just wide open in the corner of the end zone. Yeah. But I think other than that, I mean, that was one mistake out of a full game for Foster. And I think he did uh, really well. Yeah. Um, he, he looked more like the Foster from last season than from last week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was really good to see them play. Yeah, excellent. So while we're still on positives with the the defence, and you've already mentioned these two players, um, Mabin and Exum I, I thought were really good. When Mabin came on, he was definitely improvement on Jimmy Ward, who didn't have an entirely terrible game. No. Um, Jimmy Ward was definitely better than what he played last week. That, that's... Without a shadow of a doubt, he was better than what he played last week. But yeah, when Mabin came on at the start of the second half, I thought, wow, he's he's doing okay. Him, he can actually push for a starting place un- until Sherman comes back. And the same with Exum. The last two weeks, I've been really impressed with Exum, and I'm thinking, would I rather have him starting than Tart? The way he's playing at the moment for a defensive play, if you can use this term, he's definitely the hot hand at that position. Yeah, and and Tart's gonna have work to do to to kind of unsurp him at the minute. And yeah, the the bits that I was able to see of him, I thought he looked like a capable NFL starter. Like I say it was a brilliant pick six start of the game. He was, was decent in coverage. Uh, he had the pass tip in the end zone. I don't believe or I didn't see him give up any explosive plays. And yeah, like you say, Maven came in, and he was, you know, he was decent himself. So. Yeah, these this is again. This is what we're asking for: the players that are coming into the team to you know make a name for themselves and 
be there when when they're called upon. And yeah, some of these players the are coming come in. Yeah, seize the opportunity because don't seize your opportunity. You know, these are the guys that are going to be first out the door once players start making their way back from injury. So for these guys to be coming in and, and making an impact and making a name for themselves and, and not disgracing themselves, like I said before, that's all, all we can kind of ask for, really. Yeah. And it's pleasing, very pleasing to see him coming in and, and uh, contributing. Not you know, not just coming in on special teams and not contributing. They're actually coming in on defence and, and, and making plays. Yeah, definitely. So on the other side of the ball, we've got Kendrick Bourne, who had a decent game last week against the Chiefs. And he's had another really good game against the Chargers. Uh, I thought he did really well. He, the touchdown, I thought he took that really well. I, I thought it was a good throw and a good catch, to be honest. Mm. And he, he's starting to show what I didn't see before this season. So obviously he, he got the place on the roster and Richie James went down to the practice squad. And I was a little yeah. bit surprised about that, yeah. purely because of the performance of James in the preseason. And I think I'd said in the very first show, Kendrick Bourne hasn't really shown us anything to get us excited, to think, well, he's going to be a decent player. Now he has. The, the last two mm-hmm. weeks, I think, yeah, that's really good. I don't know if it's because he's getting more reps in practice or he's got a lot better chemistry with both Jimmy and um, CJ now. But yeah, over the last two weeks, he's definitely been a positive for me. Are we calling him Bourne or are we calling him Michael Jackson with all these dance moves that are now happening every time he scores a touchdown? Yeah, well, he, <laughs> to be honest, he hasn't got the moves of Michael Jackson, but we can call him Michael he Jackson. He was pretty close on Sunday. I'll give him his due. That was, uh, that was some, he was busting some decent moves on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at, at times I thought he looked more like Jason Bourne than um, Kendrick Bourne. He's, yeah, he, he's quietly becoming a nice option, isn't he? He's he is, underrated. Yeah. He seems to have good hands. He's a good route runner. And yeah, the pass from um, CJ on on that particular touchdown was fantastic again, and and that is what is you you end up seeing those touchdowns, and when Drew Brees does it, and Ben Roethlisberger does it, and Brady does it, no one really bats an eyelid because that's what's expected of them, and that's what they do in the red zone. But the window that CJ hit Bourne in was there was nothing there, was he? But he he did it, yeah, and. When you look at that throw and the touchdown that he threw that wasn't a touchdown last week, you think, this kid's got something. Yeah. You know, in, as a quarterback, he, there's something there. And he's he's that, very underrated. He's very underrated. And, and that is why, this might not sound correct, but that's why when Jimmy went down, I still had excitement about the season because... I've, we've seen what CJ can do and yeah, damn, it was horrible watching Garoppolo go down and get injured but CJ's, there's something there with him and I think I think we've got some of the, you know, there's a, a, a diamond that in the rough sort of thing there. Do you know what I mean? There, yeah, without a shadow there, of a doubt. There's something there that we can... He can only get better. Than something. He can only get better, I think. And he showed to me yesterday and at times, that going back to last scene as well, that he can be an NFL starter. Yeah, yeah, I agree and with all of that, yeah. Like I say, that, that's with absolutely no disrespect to, to Jimmy with his injury because if you have Jimmy there, Jimmy is, without shadow of a doubt, your starter. But, like I say, CJ's just got something for me at the minute. He, there's a, you know, his desire and willingness to win. He, he can hit a tight spot. He, he's still very much on the learning curve, but, yeah, I know we started off talking about Bourne and we've gone back to CJ here, but, yeah, yeah. When, when you've got these young receivers and... and you probably look back to last season, I expect CJ and the likes of Bourne and that were probably working quite a lot together on as the kind of backup options, weren't they? Because they weren't at the time. Yeah, so they've got that chemistry. So they probably got some chemistry. Even if it is only off practice field, there's, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. So going from one wide receiver to another... Uh, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention him because I have been on his back again, a little bit like Solomon Thomas, and that was uh, Pierre Garçon. Uh-huh. And, and I thought he had a decent game yesterday. I think he only had one drop, um, but he, he was making the catches. He was making the catches in um, traffic. Yeah, uh, he, he seemed to have a really good pair of hands yesterday, and it looks as though CGA favours him a little bit. Um, he, he kept on targeting Garcon time and time again. 
Um, obviously, he didn't get as uh, as many yards as what George Kittle did, and, and we leave George to the last because I think he's the brightest spot of the day. But yeah, I thought he did really well, and I think he must have been listening to our podcast to up his game for this week. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's good. He just needs to find the end zone now because, uh, yeah, he was going across the middle. I think he had two, was it right at the start of the third quarter, wasn't it? I think he had a 12-yard catch and then a 23-yard catch or the other way around. So, yeah, there's obviously uh, something there between those two as well. And, it, yeah, it's good to see because Garcon, look, I think we said last week, these are the kind of players now that need to make you know make a name for themselves and, and lead. And, you know, they, these veterans in the team need to lead. And, uh, yeah, Garcon, um, he showed on uh, Sunday again that he is a leader and, uh, yeah, he was involved. And that's uh, another positive and good good to see. Not really much to add on that. So, so on to... The last positive, and it's the big positive, and it's actually yeah two positives and one here. Um, so George Kittle, George Kittle had another absolutely excellent game. He yep. he was unbelievable, and his touchdown, his eighty-two yard touchdown. I'm going to lump in that uh, all the faithful that made the journey down to Los Los Angeles. The noise was unbelievable when he caught that pass and started running towards the end zone. It was. It was such, pleasing such to a hear. Small stadium. It sounded like there was more people in there, didn't it? It didn't sound like twenty-three thousand people to me. That sounded at least double. Yeah, it did. It sounded really loud. They must um, have been well oiled. Yeah. <laughs> well, the are forty-niners fans, are we? <laughs> but yeah, George Kittle again. I, I said it last week. I think I said it the week before. If he cuts his drops out, he's going to be an elite tight end. And he's proven it. I think at the moment he's for for a tight end, he's averaging seventy five yards a game, um, which for a tight end is excellent. This game, one hundred twenty five yards. Yeah, I think that was a career day for him. He he does. He just looks excellent. And obviously, he's already got that chemistry with CJ um, through playing together in college. So it looks as though he's just going to keep on going on and on and on. He's definitely our number one tight end. Selleck was. Disappointing for me yesterday. He last season I would have said it was close between him and Kittle, who would be the uh, the number one tight end. But Kittle's taken it away without a shadow of a doubt. He yeah, was I excellent. Don't, don't just think he's our number one tight end. I think he's now our number one target man. He's going to be the go-to guy. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. He's our Gronk. Yeah, yeah, he's our Jimmy Graham or our Gronk at the minute. Like I say, that he's got the relationship with CJ. They've got a rapport. It's easy to see why it works. They came out of college together. That, without a shadow of a doubt, goes a long way. Um, good hands. The speed on that touchdown, that's that's not a tight end speed, is it? I mean, No, I was quite was surprised about that. Safety, and the linebacker, the linebacker was blowing out of his backside, wasn't he? He was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was a little bit shocked about how fast he was going to go there. Because I, I haven't really... I don't really class him as a fast receiver. So, I think he was four five forty, wasn't he? I'm sure he was a four five forty when he came out. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit of speed there. Yeah, well, he definitely showed it in that run last night. Yeah, yeah. It was lovely to watch. Yeah, I've got an additional positive. Go on then. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Gould. I think we've been exceptionally lucky with consistent kickers for about fifteen years now, and a lot of those years our kicker has actually carried our teams and carried our offense at times. When you think back to Joe Nedney, Phil Dawson, uh, David Akers Akers was probably out of all of those, out of those four was probably the least consistent, but he was for large chunks of what the 2014, 15 season. He was a massive part of the, of the offense and and the points we scored at times. Yeah. Not too, yeah, 2014-15, yeah. Um, even the odd guys who came in due to injury, I think when we had Jeff Reed came in, I think he kicked 9 out of 10 or something like that. Um, and that's these guys have been crucial because there's been some dark periods in this last 13, 14, 15 years. And these guys, like I just said, these guys have been our offense in many games. Like, if you look back over some of the old box scores, you, you'll see like Joe Edney kicking six field goals and we went 18-15 and... and <laughs> yeah. And, and Dawson doing similar kind of stuff, and and I think we've been incredibly lucky with our kickers in over all this time. Even when you look back to the Super Bowls in the late eighties, we had Mike Kofer as our kicker, and he was pretty poor. Let's let's face it, but with the team that he was on, 
all he had to do was kick extra points because <laughs> he wasn't particularly good at field goals. Yeah. And I don't think any of us need reminding when you think about how poor our kicking was before the likes of Nedney came along when we had like Jose Cortez, who was probably shorter than me and probably one of the worst kickers I've ever seen <laughs> on the 49ers yeah. ever. So, yeah, just a shout out to Robbie Gould, really, and, and the fact that we've got such a consistent unit on the special teams, on the field call unit, um, in terms of, uh, you know, bailing us out at times, because we caught, we've quite often said in the past, you know, we're constantly kicking field goals and, and not scoring touchdowns. Well, these guys have still got to come on and kick the field goals. And it's it looks easy at times, doesn't it? But I'm pretty damn sure it ain't at times. When you, know, when you think of some of the field conditions, some of the weather conditions that these guys go out in and, and they're plonking over 40, 50 yard field goals as if, you know, as, as if it's that, you know, they're doing it in their sleep with their eyes closed. So while we're on with kickers, um, I think I should add punters are people too. Yeah. And, and that tiny little tap that Pinion got on that return. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he earned his money that day. Um, yeah. I, I know there'll be a lot of people that argue and say, well, you shouldn't have put it anywhere near him in the first place. Just try and no. pin them inside the, uh, the the 20 or the, even the 10. But yeah, I think he did well to actually get across there uh, and get a slight tap on his foot, which brought him down. Yes. Yeah. But again, you don't really want to be relying on your punter to make a game saving tackle, do you? No, definitely not. <laughs> right. So I think that's the end of the positives. And I think we can look forward to next week's game against the Cardinals. Yes. Um, a game that's going to be attended by both Andy and Audrey Smith. And they'll be representing the 49er Faithful UK. They've got the flag there. Well, if we've got Iron Man there, we're going to win, aren't we? Oh, definitely. We, we've got to win with Tony Stark. <laughs> but I hope they enjoy themselves out there because uh, after they've been there for the Cardinals game, they're going across country for the Green Bay Packers game at Lambeau. And again, I'd love to go to Lambeau. Um, and again, Andy and Audrey will have the flag there. So look out for coverage. See if we can get any pictures of them there. Yeah, that would be, be good. Yeah. Right. So on to the weekly, the weekly slot of tips for San Francisco. Okay. Obviously, we did this last week, and I don't know what went wrong with recording. Um, but I've put. Oh, you've peeled the curtain back there. We're meant to record this as if we had, if we didn't do that, and then it it sounds fresh. Yeah. <laughs> So I've I've actually um I've put some steps in place to prevent us doing whatever I did last week. I think uh-huh. I know what it was. Um, you so got excited about all the talk of food and beer and and <laughs> stop recording. That's what it was. Probably because my number one tip is food again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go. I'll start off then. Um, on. So the number one tip I've got down. I, I may have even said it on last week's uh, show, the one that we recorded over. Other we the one that I recorded over. Um, so my tip is definitely get yourself down to Borden's on Fishman's Wharf for some clam chowder. Yes, yes. Um, believe it or not, it tastes more like chicken soup than fish. So I, I'm not a fish person. I stay away from fish. If my wife's eating crab sticks, I, I actually have to leave the room because I really? just don't like the smell of it. But you I was want to come to San Francisco with me then because I'm all over the fish out there. Oh, well, <laughs> see, I mean, me and Dave used to, uh, sorry, me and David used to run past this um, fish market right next to the Fisherman's Wharf, just along from Borden's. And mm. it wasn't too bad, but I must admit, if we weren't running, it may have been a problem <laughs> because <laughs> I could feel myself going greener and greener as we ran past it because of the smell. But clam chowder's not like that. You, you, can't, no. you can't smell any fish, and you can hardly taste it either. It's the faintest uh, hint of fish. So definitely t- uh, try clam chowder while you're there. Um, tastes just like chicken soup. You'll love it. And, and eat the bread bowl because that's one of the best bits. The amount it of is. people that I saw in there that would eat all of the chowder out and then leave the bread. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, that's San Francisco sourdough there. You, you, you can't leave that. No, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah, you eat the whole thing. Eat everything. Um, so, yeah, whilst we're in the, in the pier section, there's... I've got a favourite little sandwich shop and it's called Chowders and it's on Pier 39 which some people might knock because it's a bit touristy down there and all that but it's one of those places that if you haven't been 
you've got to go down and experience all the piers and see what's going on. And if you're going to go to Alcatraz, you've got to catch a ferry from down that way anyway. So you might as well, while you're down there, pop into Chowders, get yourself a shrimp and crab sandwich, because it would be the best shrimp and crab sandwich you've ever had in your life. And that little fisherman's market where you used to run by, yeah. If, if you're not getting, if you're not going to go on Pier 39 and have a sandwich, have one from one of those vendors on the side of the, down by the um, where the Fisherman's Wharf sign is. Uh, there's a big tat shop on the corner as well. You can't you can't miss the little sort of market stalls down there, can you? And I'd say if you can't get one from Childers, go down there and get some uh, fresh uh, fresh shrimp and crab from one of those vendors because. You won't taste anything like it. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely uh, love it. I, I could eat. I could eat there every day. And there's plenty of choice as well. I, I oh, think so somebody once said, "So you, much choice." You, you can you can eat out every single night in San Francisco for two years and, and not eat a bad meal because yeah, the places are just so good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I've got another tip, but it's a tip of what not to do. Um, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so there's. The Anchor Steam Brewery Tour, which is a fantastic uh, tour, so that's not the tip of what not to do. Definitely do the Anchor Steam Brewery Tour. You'll enjoy that. Um, but the tip of what not to do is, after you've been there and you've spent time in the tasting session where you can taste 10, 12 different beers, don't do what me and David did and decide that it was time to go for a run across the Golden Gate Bridge because you'll get halfway over there and then realise how much of a bad idea that was. So that's that's a tip of what not to do. If you're going to do the brewery tour, don't follow it up with a jog across the Golden Gate Bridge. Are there any way for you to, or are there anywhere for you to have a wee or to chuck up on the Golden Gate Bridge either? Well, you can throw there's, up on the no Golden hiding, Gate Bridge. No, there's no <laughs> hiding. <laughs> but some people need to be facing in the right direction when you do it. <laughs> you <laughs> do. You're going to get covered. <laughs> and some poor trawler captain's going to get covered as well. Yeah, yeah. So th- those are my two tips for this week. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll continue down the piers then. Um, there's an NFL shop on Pier 39. Um, it's really good, or it used to be really good, because I've since been told that it's not as good as it used to be. Uh, my advice would be don't buy anything from in there because it's a captive audience and they are much more expensive than the official 49ers shop in Westfield Mall. And in Westfield Mall, there also is a shop called SF Sports and they're pretty good. So you can get all of your normal 49ers or Giants or Warriors or whatever you're into, Sharks, from those from that shop. And there's, I think there's two or three other I think there's a Champ Sports and there's another couple of other sports shops in the Westfield Mall. Yeah, there's and a few. around that area. So, yeah, if, if you're tempted by anything in, in the Pier 39 NFL shop, make a note of what it is, how much it is, and then have a look at what price that is in the 49ers store or in the Giants dugout store or in, like I say, SF Sports in the Westfield Mall because uh, if you travel down back on the cable car towards the Union Square and the Westfield Mall, you'll probably pick pick up those items that you were going to buy in the NFL shop on Pier 39. And let's say you're going to spend $100 in that shop, you'd probably pick it up for about $75 in, in one, of those other, one of those other stores. Yeah, yeah, they are, they are much cheaper than Fishman's Wharf. Uh, and while we're talking about Fishman's Wharf and that uh, NFL shop, uh, another tip of what not to do, whatever you do, if you do go into that NFL shop, don't follow anybody around. Otherwise, you'll get accused of racial profiling, like both <laughs> me and David did. Oh, dear. I think that was the very first night we, we arrived last year for the Thanksgiving um, Seahawks game. Okay. And we were down on Fishman's Wharf. We'd, we'd been down to Players Bar for a couple of drinks, a bite to eat, and we decided to pop in the NFL shop on the way back to the hotel. And it was just complete coincidence that I basically followed these two gentlemen around the store because I was going exactly the same place as they were going, looking at the same stuff as they were going. <laughs> and then they suddenly turned round and had a right go at me, accused me of racial profiling, at wow. which point they dropped everything they were going to buy and stormed out of the shop. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was almost speechless. I, the, the only thing I could muster was, I'm from the UK, mate. I'm here on yeah. holiday. <laughs> yeah, don't care what you're up to, mate. Yeah, so, so there's a, another tip of what not to do. Don't follow okay, people well, around. As, as we've got people going to San Francisco this week, then I will say I recommend two bars. 
21st Amendment Bar, which is down near AT&T Park, and they have it's a microbrewery, and they've got a fantastic selection of uh, craft ales, uh, real ales, lagers, all sorts. You can get watermelon beers, coconut beer, you name it, whatever whatever you can dream of. They they pretty much do it in there. And then there's a tiny little pub, and I, for the life of me, I can't think of the road that it's on, but it's not far off of Union Square, and it's called Murphy's Pub, and it's a stereotypical american irish bar which doesn't look anything like an irish bar but they serve guinness so therefore and it's called murphy's so therefore they call it an uh, irish bar it's not an irish bar um it's just a really quiet pleasant little pub um where you can just sit at the bar uh you can eat in there you can watch the telly drink to your heart's content in there and stuff when i was over there the last couple of times uh, and i've gone back to that pub several times since i when i've been out there really really friendly nice little place to go it's a lot of the locals that work in a lot of the stores in that area will go and drink in there. It's a little bit, it's, you know, it's not on one of the main main streets. It's, well, you say that a lot, a lot of the streets in, in that, around that Unisquare are main streets, but it's sort of tucked away and you wouldn't really know it's there until you, you're on top of it and you walk past it. I should have researched what street it's on. But I think that's on Kearney Street. It may be on Kearney Street, but yes. It's, like I say, it's Murphy's Pub. It's a real small little place, but it's a, it's a lovely little pub and yeah they do good beer in there they have support on the telly most of the time in there staff are friendly and it's uh like i say it's not a sort of tourist hotspot or anything so a couple of times i've been in or a few times i've been in there you end up talking to you know people that have just come out of work from their sort of clothes stores and stuff that are just around the corner and what have you and yes just a friendly little bar everyone seems to know a lot of people in there so yeah you just get chatting with people meet people uh yeah buying each other drinks and having a good old time in there so that's definitely one I'll put down on my next uh, visit list to go around there. Um, we, we try and frequent uh, as many bars as possible while we're over there. Absolutely. Yeah, D- David likes a beer of five. So yeah, we, we'll definitely put that one down. Right, thank you for your tips, Brian, and thank you very much for the review today. It's been a pleasure again talking to you. No problem at all. Always fun. It's uh, Even though it was a defeat, it still felt like a fairly positive podcast. So that's... Uh, that is a good thing to do. Um, yeah, and I've just filled out time there to research Murphy's Pub, and it is on Kearney Street. <laughs> I, th- I, I thought it was. I, I think I walked past it, and me? it was closed. Going, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was filling then. Yeah, it is uh, Kearney Street. Right. 217. Right. So there you go. Yeah, I, I think me and David were going to go into Murphy's, but it was closed because it was Thanksgiving when, when we tried okay. to go around there. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't closed. They had a private uh, function on. Okay. So we couldn't get in, but that was definitely one that we'd said we'd go back and, and try because it did look like a very nice bar. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Right, so we're on to the Cardinals next Sunday. We'll be doing the review on Friday. If anybody wants any questions answering, if you want to put them in the group page and we'll try and answer those on Friday well, morning. Well, on the spot now, aren't you, eh? Yeah. Well, on the spot. So if, if you can get your questions in by Thursday... We'll see if we can answer some of the questions for you. Whether or not it's about how we think the season's going to pan out, how we think the game against the Cardinals is going to pan out, given that it's a Cardinals preview. Um, Anything like that, drop us a line and uh, we'll mention whose question it is and we'll try our best to answer it. And based on the last two weeks, we'll tell you whether we're going to beat the over or the under and what the score's going to be, or as close to as we can possibly get between the two of us. Yeah, so if there's any betting men out there, or betting women, <laughs> then, yeah, get your pens and paper ready. Right. Listen to our last two podcasts and see what a good job we've done, and then completely ignore our advice for this week, because I'm pretty sure it's going to go wrong. <laughs> well, it's got to go <laughs> wrong we'll, one we'll, week. We'll be under pressure now, won't we? Yeah, you're too right, we will. <laughs> yeah. Right, guys, thanks for listening again. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. See you later, guys. Yeah. Love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark Garrison Hurst, Stiff Farm going 99 Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline NDB, greatest owner of all time Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick We're all students of Bill Walsh, don't ever forget